Hi, I'm Mandy Jack and I'm part of a team of academic developers at Swansea University who provide support and promote good learning and teaching practices and experiences. Welcome to A Pinch of Salt, Swansea University's learning and teaching podcast. If it has anything to do with learning and teaching in higher education, let's make sure everybody knows about it. In this episode, we're talking to Emma James. She's a senior lecturer in accounting and finance at Swansea University. She's a professionally qualified accountant and a fellow of the Association of Chartered Certified Accountants. She's a senior fellow of the HEA and with a wealth of industrial experiences, she has pleasure in sharing with her students in very creative ways. Her innovative teaching methods and specialist knowledge of e-learning has enabled her to deliver record results in terms of degree outcome and student feedback. The modules Emma has created have been singled out by employers for their vocational value and praised by students who have identified these modules as giving them employability edge. Emma has received many awards for her contributions to teaching, including the University-wide Excellence in Learning and Teaching Award. So, welcome to A Pinch of Salt, Emma. Thank you, Mandy. Emma, you went from financial controller for an international company to a lecturer in accounting and finance at Swansea University. So why did you decide on higher education? As I climbed up the ranks in accountancy, I became a manager, looking after staff, trainees coming in, and obviously they then were doing the exams that I had sat. So it was a case of training them up and preparing them for the exams. And I really enjoyed it. I got a lot out of it. There was a lot of satisfaction in helping others and seeing that it, you know, it did make a difference. And along the way, you know, quite a few of them would say, oh, are you a really good teacher? And I thought, I do like teaching. And I thought, shall I, you know, dip my toe in the water? And I thought, yeah, why not? And from that, I did the PGC part-time, as well as still working as an accountant. And um, it progressed from there, because obviously doing the PGC, I had to sort of juggle doing a placement alongside the course, plus still working in industry. And it was a lot of balls to juggle. It really was. But I, I just thrived. You know, it was like every year I just wanted to know more and more and more. And from the placement, I got offered sort of a part-time teaching job. And I thought, yeah, this, this is what I want to go into. And then that led me to a full-time job then at Swansea. And actually, Emma, that's where I met you, isn't it? I met you doing your PG cert. So I was teaching in another university at the time and I was in a very different role. And I was teaching about technology-enhanced learning. I remember very vividly, I was discussing the module and I was telling the group how you could embed technology into any subject area. And I could see you sat there at the back of the room with your hand on your chin and you were looking at me and you went, no, I I don't see how I can use this in accounting and finance. (laughs) And it was quite interesting because we had a little chat and everybody was throwing ideas at you. And I could see this light coming on and you thought, "Mm, yeah, maybe I could do something with that. Do you remember the the very first thing that you tried? Well, strangely enough, it was podcasts. That was the first thing that I sort of trialed and actually went live with. in in my teaching and I think the challenge for me is when you think about the very nature of accounting it's numbers 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 yes there's analysis but 
it's a very practical subject in that, you know, it's it's questions based, case studies, very hands on. And then you're just thinking, well, you know, how how can I embed technology with this? Yes, there's Excel spreadsheets, but then there was all these different applications coming in and thinking, well, where's the relation? You know, how can I embed this within my teaching? And then I went with the podcast and used it as a revision aid. And even then I was thinking, well, you know, is this really going to be effective? Because, you know, they've got the questions, they've got the PowerPoint slides. As I said, it's practical in nature. What are we going to do with this podcast? But I used it as a revision aid because there's sort of like a number of accounting standards then that they will be introduced to doing the module. When we finish the module, there's quite a lot then that can come up in an exam. So this is where then I did a podcast and basically took them through each standard and giving a summary of it. And it turned out to be very successful, which surprised me because I just thought, right, I'm just going to use this to see where it goes. And in the module feedback, I, I remember students specifically referring to that and how that was a very effective mode of revision for them because they could download it, they could listen to it on the go and they really valued that. And then that then motivated me to think, right, okay, if that's just podcasts, what else can I use to really bring what some people perceive as a a dull grey topic? You know, how can we bring the counting to life? That sounds excellent. So the students then just had access to the podcast whenever they wanted. And could you see any statistics? Was it something that was used quite widely with the students? Yeah, they could just download the mp3 themselves so it was almost like learning on the go for them it made it more accessible when we think about inclusivity diversity and i think you know this is where technology widens that accessibility indeed it does and i guess obviously because you mentioned you use powerpoint so you've got the sort of visual stimulus you've got the the audio then if they want to dip in in a different way and i know you do small video bites as well so you really are looking at all your students which is which is awesome and i'm sure you've tried quite a few innovative ideas to get your students engaged since then what's the most significant success would you say I think what stands out for me was Flashback Friday, which had nothing to do with technology at all. Totally came away from technology and went back to the traditional approach of whiteboard magnetic sheets, which was on a roll. could just literally tear off the sheet, stick it on the wall, because obviously you're in so many different classrooms when you're teaching. You know, obviously you could just take that roll with you. And what, what I would do is at the end of the teaching week, the Flashback Friday activity was sort of posing a question to them. And it could be something as simplistic as, can you recall three important terms that I've introduced to you this week, you know, doing the lectures? And then in the seminar class, I'd put up this whiteboard sheet and then I would get them to literally stand up and walk towards the front door. It could be at the side of the classroom. And then for them to start sort of writing what stood out for them personally. And, you know, I, I was trying to bring sort of like the, the come away from the shyness in town and right. there's no sort of right or wrong answer as such because there's so many different terms you can choose from. It's what stands out to you. And then before you knew it, then this white sheet, you know, was just full of different terms. And even if there was a duplication of terms, you could see some students when they were going up then trying to think of other terms because they were thinking, oh, 
I, I, they've already got that one down. And then from that, it, it grew. So instead of them coming up individually, I started getting them into groups. And then at the end of the seminar classes, I would always take a photo of it. That then grew because from those pictures, I said, there's evidence of your learning, showcasing your learning. So you should be proud of, you know, what you can recall. And they could use that then for revision. I didn't try anything like that on online. The biggest thing that I did when using Zoom was trying to use the, the breakout rooms. Mm. And I used that in conjunction with the group work that they were working towards. So they, I put them into groups and then um, every time we would meet for a seminar class, the breakout rooms would be set up in the groups that they were in. So that even though during COVID, they weren't together doing doing the group work in person, they were then going into their own sort of online room to start getting to know one another in their groups. And for me, that was a big learning curve because when you're dealing with a cohort of, of 200 and then you've got 40 in a seminar class, that's a lot to manage, you know. And when you're going into the breakout rooms, we've only got 50 minutes for a seminar class. Yeah. And I think you've really got to think and plan how you approach the classes online because you want to make sure that you're still teaching because it's not all just about the engagement and games and the interaction. Yes, they may have listened to a lecture recording for two hours, made some notes. But then what I find with accounting students when they come to the seminar class, they they want demonstrations, question-based to show where now the application of knowledge, yeah. but at a slower pace. So it, it's a juggling act because, you know, and, and I think speaking to other lecturers, they found that during COVID, it felt it was all about engaging the students. And then sometimes that would then shadow the teaching element. So you tr- trying to get the, the appropriate balance in the limited time that you had. Yeah, it's, uh, it's been a very tricky few years. And I guess... There's a whole new set of challenges now. We've got students coming back into university on campus. Are you seeing some different challenges then? Oh, definitely. I think from my perspective, again, because I teach large cohorts, obviously during COVID, everything was online. You know, we were studying from their bedroom, their kitchen. Whereas now, you know, we're trying to get them now to come into campus and get that whole university experience. And when they come in to university for that lecture or for that seminar, I think there's more onus now on the engagement because it's a case of, okay, what's different about me coming into university and you delivering this lecture to me just watching it online? And there's got to be a difference. Absolutely. There's got to be. And I think this is where the whole student engagement sort of comes in, where technology does play a part. But I think for me, the importance is the interaction, that human interaction, you know, that being in the classroom, creating that energy, getting them to mix with one another rather than them just looking at the board and just copying. How important is the learning environment to you then? I mean, there's, we've got a range of different learning environments from online, we've got the VLEs, we've got massive lecture rooms to very small focused group work. How important is the learning environment, do you think? I think it's very important because there's multiple learning environments. So what's 
going to be different in a seminar class to a lecture hall? What's going to be different to a seminar class to being online? And this is where, you know, again, it comes back to the whole planning and the preparation of the teaching and the activities. And, you know, what can you do? Because you're quite limited when in a lecture hall with 200 compared to a seminar class where perhaps you've only got 40. But when it comes to, to group work, which I do in year two, again, it's a large cohort, 200 students. You've got over 40 groups. And this is where for the team morale in group work is so important and I explained this at the very beginning when it comes to the group work assessment you know sometimes it can be a shock for students especially if they're not working with students that they know I'm a big supporter in mixing the groups up and getting them to work with students that they've not worked with before because you know it develops different skills it develops their communication skills definitely and also then what I like to see then is when they go into year three, they will say, from that assessment, I've extended my friendship group. So, I mean, when you put students into groups, obviously group work for many lecturers, it is a bit of a bugbear because it does come with challenges. You know, how can you get them all engaged, especially if maybe one member or two members of our group is not coming to class for whatever reason, you know, and it could be, you know, legit reasons. Mm. So this is where on Canvas, I've been using the group function yeah. and I used that and set them sort of like mini icebreaker activities so that they could develop that team morale and then lead them up to the group work and the assessment brief then so that they've got to know one another. And what I like about it is it's almost like a mini Facebook. Those that have got a very good morale, it comes across during the presentation. You can see... All students have, you know, gelled well. And instead of just saying to students the week that the group work assessment is launched, right, here's your assessment brief. This is of the group you're in. Crack on. I'll, I'll see you in two weeks' time for, for your presentation. And with the assessment that I do with them in year two, they've got to create a poster. And what you find then in the group, they'll divvy up the tasks. So there's a lot of file exchanges which is another good thing then about Canvas and the group function. And I think for students, there's so many different apps and it can be overwhelming for them too, you know. And I just wanted the one platform. And of course, they use Canvas all the time. So why introduce or use another app? It, it overwhelms them. So using the, the Canvas group function has, has been amazing. But what surprised me was students not knowing how to use it. We just assume students, because they use a mobile phone, they're technology savvy, and actually they're not. And they do need our guidance. They do need that support. For example, um, I did a new assessment last year with my year one students, which was a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it genuinely was. <laughs> and it was like a rabbit in headlights when I issued the brief podcast and I genuinely thought oh they know how to do a podcast they must listen to podcasts all the time they're always on their phones but that was my ignorance and that was you know my poor assumption and you know I think we need to engage students with the technology before we even get to that stage of showing them how to use it not to be misled that when we are there in the lecture hall and they're on their phones and we are frustrated or, you know, that they're not technology savvy. You know, they still need us 
to guide them. Yeah, they know what they know and they know what they like to to play with and they know how to engage with those things. But yeah. if you're asking them to use it for a different reason, then that sometimes that sometimes puts them on the back foot, doesn't it? So tell us a little bit about the podcast uh, assignment then. So the school is going through the process of getting the AACSP accreditation and part of that then is developing a variety of skills for the students and one being then the oral communication skills and this is where I wanted to try and develop that in year one so that when I get them in year two and they do a group presentation standing up they've had that time in between to grow and develop because if they're doing it for the first time in year two you can't expect them to be to be wonderful and nobody likes standing up and public speaking, very few anyway, and students hate it. But the group podcast, I always say to students, but when they graduate, when they get the degree transcript, an employer can read the result. But what they want students to do in that interview is to convey their learning experience into a meaningful language, and they can't do it. Oh, I've got it first, so I, sh- I should have a job. And it don't work like that. <laughs> it's about, okay, what can you bring to the table? You know, you've got this degree. What are your skills? How can that be useful to me so that I know you are the right candidate for the job? So in the group podcast, I got them to reflect on what was delivered in the module and ask them, why do you think this is important in, in regards to a role of an accountant? And then to promote the, the assessment so that the students, obviously I was trying to put myself in the students' shoes and thinking, right, hang on now, I've signed up to do accounting. It's numbers. Why isn't she giving us a test? Why am I doing a podcast? What has that got to do with accounting? And the launch of the assessment, I got a range of employers because I work a lot with employees in industry to, to get that collaboration so that, you know, I'm not in industry anymore. By having that collaboration, I'm still keeping abreast with new developments, but more importantly, what what employees want then? You know, how can we make our, our Swans University graduates different? Because we're all going to be competing against one another for that job. And I went through the assessment brief with the employers to get their views, first of all, to see how relevant it was and if they thought it was, you know, important, you know, would it be useful? Absolutely. This is, more of this is what we need because you would not believe how many graduates you get through that door and they're in that interview and they can't explain anything about what they got taught in, in university and how it's relevant to the position that they've applied. Oh, awesome. So like you said, it's, it's those oral skills. Yeah. So it was a, an episode of a podcast that they were yeah. was part of that. Oh, that's fantastic. Really good. And then you built on that in the second year then. Yeah. So this time they were still working in groups, but this time they were standing up and presenting a poster. So they had to go through a set of financial statements and analyse those statements into condensed points. And then in front of an employer panel and myself, present the poster. So you're clearly quite a creative and innovative teacher. That's, you've, just, you've just said those things now to me. Do you think there are important attributes for teaching in higher education? Definitely. Definitely. And I think for every lecturer, they've got their unique way of delivering. 
And I think engagement is such an important part to teaching because, you know, when you walk into that room and you've got 200 faces staring at you, you know, you want both students all to feel like they are an individual, that it isn't just, oh, use a class, use the information, I'm off now. And it's getting to know the students. And so, so for example, in similar classes where you haven't got 200 and you're in a smaller group of 40 and you've got, you know, sort of more opportunities to interact with them and you pose questions, I will make a note of those students that have answered those questions. And then at the end of the week, I will spend the time personally emailing them, thanking them for their contribution in the seminar class. And their confidence and self-esteem just increases. And you can see that by the way they are then in the next seminar class because they, you know, they're engaged. Excellent tip. So yeah. You do spend an awful lot of time developing these ideas and ensuring that you've got engagement planned in every type of learning environment that you set up. Does it overwhelm you? Does it make you feel like you're doing too much sometimes? Sometimes it can overwhelm you because you can never get complacent as a teacher, ever. If, I mean, like I say, I've been here now, I think, eight years. And yes, I teach the same modules, but every year I've changed them. You've got to because they're going to be outdated. I mean, and I, I don't mean from a curriculum sense and the topics, because I teach the accounting standards, they do get updated. I don't mean from that perspective, but it is looking at how technology has changed and how then that needs to be blended into the teaching. But more importantly, respecting the fact that, okay, these are the same modules, but guess what? I've got a different tribe now. Absolutely. And especially over the last three years, we've had students who started university when we were in a face-to-face, then the pandemic hit, and then they had to learn a whole new set of skills. We've also got students, especially in our first-year students, who've come from a very different way of learning during their A-levels, or maybe they're mature students and haven't been learning for a while. And then they come into that learning environment, that massive lecture space, and we're expecting them to just know how to communicate with each other, as basic as that. Yeah, I mean, I always say to the year ones, when they've come along to the first lecture, it is like walking into the lion's den. Because I know if I put myself in their shoes and I walked up to university for the first time, Bearing in mind now, if you know, even before the pandemic, when there was face-to-face teaching in colleges, they're very small classrooms in comparison to a lecture hall. And I think it's so important that in that first lecture, you appreciate that and that you make them feel as cliche as it sounds at home. You know, the, the fact that this is where you're going to be for the next 10 weeks, let's get you comfortable with this because you need to be comfortable in that learning environment so that the learning barriers come down. Because otherwise, the learning barriers are up. They're not taking in the information because they're sitting there anxiously thinking, oh, wow, this is a big room. Oh, I'm not sitting with anybody. Oh, there's a gang down there, I don't know. And sometimes we can overlook that because we are so focused to get into that room, deliver the content. It's a case of, well, hang on. Let's take a step back. Let's really appreciate, you know, what's running through their minds so that they can engage. Because if you don't appreciate those simple points, then 
how can we engage with them? Yeah, that you need to give them that access to learning. Otherwise, yes. as you said, those barriers just keep rising. What would you say to a self-confessed technophobe like you used to be if they came to ask you for advice? After you've gone grey, <laughs> you've got no hair left because you've pulled it out. <laughs> Persevere. You'll find your way. And it's not necessarily technology. It's finding ways to, like you said, engage your students, to keep yourself sane, to make best use of the tools that you're given and that you have access to, to get the students to want to learn. Yeah, as great as technology is, teaching is a people experience. And, you know, during COVID, it proved that, that technology can't replace face-to-face teaching. It can complement teaching, but it's certainly not a replacement. And I think students appreciate that now. Because, you know, I thought, obviously, when COVID came along and everything was online, I thought, oh, this is it now. This is the way teaching's always going to be. And I thought, I hope not. I really hope not, because I, I would rethink my career, because whilst technology is great, the online teaching, you can make it effective. Teaching is being in the room with them, and it's that connection with them. And I think they see that too, and they value that. Oh, fabulous. Okay, so we come to the, the part where I ask you some fun questions. We call them our salty questions. If you could invite a guest lecturer, they could be dead or alive, who would it be? I mean, I've got to be honest with you. I think the most effective guest speakers that I've had are graduates because, you know, they've been through the experience that they are going through and they can share so many tips compared to a big shot. So if you've got graduates coming in and then saying, yeah, I've been where you've been, and yes, I feared the final year, I feared the competition and going for that job, but now I've got that job, I've got my degree, I'm now a qualified accountant, is it worth it? Definitely. Yeah, that's that's fair enough. So Blackboard or Canvas? Canvas. Why? Looking back now, Blackboard was too clunky. You know, it, it's like dull and boring now compared to, to Canvas. Yeah, definitely Canvas. Cool. i got to be honest with you, though. When the university was putting in tenders and I was asked to come along and test, I think there was like three different platforms they were looking into. At the time, I was like, Blackboard, Blackboard, Blackboard. <laughs> it's got to be Blackboard. <laughs> Could just get the up-to-date version of Blackboard. And obviously when they went with Canvas then, I was adverse to it because obviously I'd used Blackboard for many years. But now, oh yeah, Canvas without a shadow of a doubt. And you had used the learning platform well. You'd got to know Blackboard. So that was the difference. When we took over with Canvas, COVID hit at the same time. So it was a massive learning curve, wasn't it? So I guess you just had to jump in feet first. That was hard. I look back and I would say that was my biggest challenge in my teaching career. And I think uh, every lecturer and teacher in the world <laughs> would agree with me. Absolutely. But I think for us at Swansea, yes, that was a big transition mm. to understanding, well, okay, what's the difference to online teaching to traditional teaching? Yeah. What have we got to change? Mm. But then on top of that, then we had a new yeah. system to learn. Yeah. And it was like coming from all angles. <laughs> okay, so other than the VLE then, what's your favourite online tool? Slido and Kahoot, definitely. Yeah. I mean, 
again, coming back to the fact that because I, I teach large cohorts, the slide door is really effective. Yes, I've had some bad experiences and I know others have too. But on the whole, I have found that very effective. Because, you know, students can text in a question. For example, in one of the modules this year that I teach, I do weekly lecture testing. So basically, they come along to the lecture, you deliver the topic. In the seminar class then, you will give them a multiple choice question on Canvas and that then will contribute towards the overall module mark. And the reason why I brought that in was A, to increase attendance, to get them into the classroom because attendance isn't always great and then B, to get them to keep on top of the content. So it was forcing them to keep on top of his studies basically, mm. which helps then in the long run when it comes to the final exam. And I said to the students, okay, to help prepare you now for these multiple choice questions, would you find it beneficial if I did like a few practice multiple choice questions in the lecture? I would just use Slido for that. They found that really useful. That's a nice tip. If you could sum up your time in higher education in three words, what would they be? They're, they're very rewarding. And I really don't mean the pay. <laughs> <laughs> rewarding. It can be challenging and powerful. Brilliant. I like it. Well, thank you very much for chatting with me today, Emma. It's been a delight, as always, to talk to you. It's been a pleasure, Mandy. Thank you for having me. 